0: Good morning, fellowship. My name is Paul Bickford. I'm the student ministries pastor here. I've been here for about 12 years now, and uh, it's my pleasure to be with you. When my five-year-old daughter was praying for me last night, I'm a little under the weather, she, uh, she prayed for me as I would be preaching in the big room. And so welcome to the big room, everybody. Glad you're here. Uh, I've got to tell you that today will be a little bit shorter, okay? I, I don't see anybody complaining. That's good. Uh, I, I think I have the distinction as the only pastor to have had his last name made into a verb by Crawford, okay? When a sermon goes less than half an hour, okay, he calls it Bickfording it, okay? Yeah, I mean, clap if you want, clap more if you want. Uh, So so I'm gonna Bickford the sermon today because I, I do typically teach middle schoolers and high schoolers, and so the alarm's, start going off at about 22 minutes, okay? Then at 35 minutes, there's a blaring horn in my head that says, you're losing them, you're losing them. Uh, and so uh, if, you, if you see the, the look in my eye, that is a little bit panicked, that's what that is. Uh, and so it will be a little bit shorter today. If you are here and you're under 12, I didn't get to see you, raise your hand. Man, I am so, so happy you're with us today. Did you guys have a good Christmas? Yeah, awesome. Well, I can't wait to hear some of the stories. Uh, I think in stories, right? I I think of my life in terms of stories. I think back and I think of the time that uh, my grandfather took us to Old Orchard Beach, Maine, and he bought me a styrofoam surfboard. Did anybody ever have one of those? It's it's kind of before boogie boards were a thing. It was long. And if you tried to stand on it, it, it would fold up on you. It would snap in half. Uh, but, but one of them made it through the vacation and I took it back home and, I uh, put some cinder blocks up and got my bike and got my little sister Ruth to lay down at the end of it. Uh, and, and my plan was to jump over her, uh, with the, and, 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 that has, uh, become known as the surfboard incident, uh, in our home. She's okay. Very, uh, <laughs> very, very, little damage, uh, apart from the surfboard and, Uh, I I remember that story, and I remember uh, when my father was really teaching me to surf, and we were at Fripp Island, South Carolina, a beautiful place, and the sun's starting to go down, and we're out, and it's it's a little too calm for surfing, and so we're just kind of hanging out, and we're watching the pods of dolphins as they're moving closer, and my dad reaches over and says, okay, time to paddle in, and I said, okay, and we started to paddle in. And we got to the shore, and I said, what's going on? He said, those weren't dolphins. (laughs) Yeah, I I remember that story. I remember when Andy uh, was a fifth grader playing quarterback at year High School, and uh, he threw a pass, and a little linebacker came and tagged him, okay, right right in his sternum, okay? And I remember the look in his eyes. He had tears, and he was going down to the ground, and he can't breathe, and uh, you know, if you're a dad of a, five, uh, a fifth grader, did I say five-year-old? A fifth grader, okay. Uh, you know what I wanted to do, okay? Especially when that linebacker stood over him and said something to him while he was pointing, and I started to walk out there, and I—I I don't think I would have kicked him. <laughs> uh, but the coaches, the coaches said, so let's just see what happens." And uh, Andy got up, and the coach put a play in, and Andy ran a different play, and it was. Uh, a play where he handed the ball off and then went and found that kid. <laughs> it wasn't, wasn't a real play, didn't, didn't get any yards, but he hit that kid really hard. Uh, and as the kid was laying on the ground try, trying to breathe, Andy stood over him and said something. And from where we were as coaches standing up against the fence, uh, they all looked at me because they know I'm a Christian and they know I'm a pastor, okay? And I tried really hard not to grin, but I couldn't. Couldn't help but grin. And so uh, I'm sitting there grinning and uh, we get in the car afterwards and I said, Andy, what? First off, you can't do that. I'm really glad you did that, but you can't do that. Okay. Do you hear me, son? And uh, I said, what did he say to you when he stood over you while you were trying to breathe? He said, Daddy, he looked at me and he said, Football's for tough kids. Maybe you shouldn't play. Yeah. I, I like wanted to turn the car around and you know, go to this kid's house to meet him. I'm really not this way. I'm 100% this way. And I said, well, what did you say to him? And he said, well, after I hit him, he said, I stood over him and I said, hey, we'll call him Jared, because his name's Jared. <laughs> hey, Jared football's for tough kids. Maybe you shouldn't play. I was like, yeah, you probably need to apologize to him, but well done, you know? <laughs> and so I love telling stories. I love good stories. And I'm not alone. Jesus loves stories. The New Testament is full of parables. And we, we take these parables for granted and we read them in our context, and we don't fully understand how brilliant a storyteller and writer Jesus is. And I was reading, uh, I think it was the Boston Globe, did an article on a new book, uh, Stories by Jesus, or something like that. It was a few years back, I believe, and it was written by A professor at Vanderbilt in the seminary who happened to be Jewish and not a Christian at all. But she extolled Jesus as a brilliant storyteller. And he was. And it was oftentimes his vehicle of choice when he was speaking with the multitudes because he understood something about stories. A good story has a way of getting past your defenses. It's almost like a time bomb that you take home with you, if it's a great story. And your mind unpacks it, and your heart soaks it in. And so Jesus told story after story after story. And I started thinking about, we're coming out of the season where we're talking quite a bit about the greatest story ever told. We're talking about the birth of Christ. We're talking about God's rescue mission, Emmanuel, God with us. And we love telling that story. But we're, we're leaving that season right now. Christmas has passed, and our focus shifts a little bit. And it shifts a little bit back towards us. And we start doing that thing where maybe some of us are thinking about how can we be better people? What can we do differently in the new year? And I started thinking a little bit more about the idea of my life as a story. And is my life a good story? Are the people who are reading the story of my life right now being touched? In a positive way. And let me read something to you here. This is really hard to open my Bible. Psalm 139, 13 through 16. And you're probably familiar with this scripture. It says, For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, when I was being uh, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. Now, don't miss this. In your book were written, every one of them, the days of my life that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. God thinks of our lives as stories. And he wants to write a compelling, life-changing story with each one of our lives. Will we let him do that? And what does it take for him to do that? I remember a lot of bad stories. I remember growing up and TV was a little bit different. TV used to go off at midnight. Did you know that? There used to be no TV after midnight. They would play the national anthem and there'd be a flag waving on the TV. Some of you guys don't know that. Okay, my TV weighed about as much as this piano, and it sat on this little cart. Okay, and it was back before we were smart enough to like tether things to the wall. Okay, so uh, it was supposed to have three knobs: VHF, UHF, and on/off. Okay, mine had one knob; it was the on/off. VHF and UHF were long gone, and so we had a pair of needle-nose pliers. It was black and white. Okay, there was no color TV. I used to tell my mom I could imagine the colors. Okay, that's where you say, oh. Okay, no, I had no idea. Okay, I had no idea. It had antennas so that you could actually get the broadcast from the air. Okay, only the antennas were gone. And so we had tinfoil and coat hangers. Anybody else? You remember this? Okay, good. I'm not alone. There are a lot of us out there. Okay, and TV itself was bad. Okay, like we're nostalgic and we think it was good. Like, I love Lucy. That was the pits. Okay, it was the same episode over and over. Hey, you remember that episode of I love Lucy where she wanted to be in show business, but because of her crazy antics, it didn't work and her husband got mad at her. Yeah, right. That was every episode. Gilligan's Island, used to watch that as a kid. What a rotten show. Okay, Remember that show where they wanted to be rescued so desperately, and the professor had a great idea, and they were about to be rescued, and then Gilligan messed it up with his crazy antics? <laughs> it's a terrible show. Tom and Jerry, like, you just go down the list. There's, you could watch one of every one of those shows, and, and I would watch a couple of hours of TV, and I remember turning the TV off, and there was this empty feeling, like, man, I am dumber for having watched that, <laughs> Right? Like, it left me longing for something more. Those are bad stories. What's my story? Paul was born, and he got a job, and he made some money, and he bought a Volvo. I I don't have a Volvo. I just picked Volvo. I have nothing against Swedish cars. And then he died. What a terrible story. It's a rotten story. But how many stories, how many of our stories are just close to that? When I was 10 years old, Christmas morning came and I woke up and I remember unwrapping presents and the last present I got was about this big, it was like a box and I opened it up and it was the complete set of C.S. Lewis's uh, Narnia, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe series. And I remember reading that book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, for the first time in one sitting. And I remember being in eighth grade at East Cobb Middle School, and they assigned us a book by Harper Lee called To Kill a Mockingbird, and reading that in a couple of settings. And I remember the thoughts that I had long after I finished reading those books, where I was inspired. And I wanted to be something more. I was longing for my life to be significant because I had seen someone else's story and it had affected me. I didn't want it to affect me. I didn't go into it hoping that it would affect me. It just did because stories have a way of sneaking past our defenses and making us think about things that maybe we don't think about, but we should. So this morning, I want to read a story to you, and this is a story, I I say, if you've been to church more than a couple times, you've heard, okay? It's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, three Hebrew boys, okay, who were in Babylon under King Nebuchadnezzar, and it was not a, a great situation for them but their story is one of the stories that I would point to in my life that has inspired me to desire more for my story. So, Daniel 3, if you guys would turn there with me. <laughs> You can tell there's kids uh, in here because my Bible switched. Here we go. Somebody messed with my bookmarks. Not pointing. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth was 6 cubits. Anybody know how high 60 cubits is? 90 feet. Okay? So, guys, can you think of anything around us that's about 90 feet? Anybody? I don't know, what? Our building? Is that about 90 feet? I'm the worst. I'm really asking you. I need help here. I'm not, this is not a rhetorical question. I don't do those. I work with kids. The big chicken? Okay, okay. So, I think. We've got a lot of uh, really bad examples of what 90 feet might be. Okay, I've given I've given most of them. So he sets up an image that's 90 feet tall. He set it up on the plain of Dura, where it would be easily seen in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather all the important people. Okay, all the important people, all the rulers, governors, mayors, this sort of thing. Okay, guys. Okay. Uh, of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that he had set up. Then all of the important people and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, you're to fall down and worship the image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever doesn't fall down and worship, that person will immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. So here's what we know about King Nebuchadnezzar. He was a bad dude. Okay, He was not a good guy in any sense of the word. And he was very stuck on himself. There are a lot of people who believe that this image resembled King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar thought of himself as a god. And this was his way of making sure that everybody thought of him in that way as well. So therefore, as soon as the people heard the sound of all the instruments... And every kind of music, all the people, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. What have you got going on in your life right now where you feel like God might be saying to you, hey, I've got something for you. I've got something I want you to do. Maybe it's something you've picked up in scripture. Maybe it's something that the Holy Spirit has whispered to you as you spent time abiding in Jesus. I can remember a time, uh, do you remember Harry's, the the grocery store over at Powers Ferry and the Loop, that area, where I was over at Harry's uh, with my wife, we were newly married, and uh, I, I, you know, I get to spend a lot of time uh, with God in my position, and so uh, I I was abiding pretty closely at the time, and uh, I walked past the counter where they have all the pastries, okay, it's a short counter, but it was stacked full of cannolis and custards and this sort of thing. And, uh, and, and so I always walked by that very slowly, okay? Um, and there was a woman behind it. And for whatever reason, do you ever get the feeling that God is asking you to do something? It wasn't something you picked up in Scripture. It wasn't, And, and I just had the overwhelming sense that God was saying, hey, Paul, I want you to say God bless you to that lady. And I thought, she didn't even sneeze. God bless you i not going to make that mistake twice. And I kept walking. And I thought, well, man, that's stupid. She's going to think I'm stupid. If I just say, God bless you, or what if, what if she, And then Karn, walking right behind me, you'll never guess what she says to this lady. See, I hear her say, God bless you. And that lady said, thank you so much. I needed that encouragement. And I was like, son of a gun. Like, <laughs> that, that was for me. What's God asking you to do? That's small, right? And What, what harm would have come from being obedient? Like, I, I could have had that argument with myself. Is that even God asking me to do that? And, and like, I, what, what am I worried about that if I said, hey, God bless you, lady? God would have been like, dude, what are you doing? That would, would you just make that up on your own? I didn't ask you to do What was I worried about? Well... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were asked by God to worship no other gods but him. And they're about to be put to the test here. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound Of the band shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning furnace. There are certain Jews whom you've appointed over the affairs of Babylon Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. And you got to understand what this did to King Nebuchadnezzar, somebody who saw himself as God. For these men to come, the Chaldeans to come and say, hey, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, dude, they're not listening to you. They don't care about what you say or your decree. He started to churn. They don't serve your gods. They don't worship the golden image that you've set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar in furious rage. And when I talk about this story, I just, I I love to have somebody stand up and show me what furious rage looks like. Anybody? No? Okay. Okay. Don't pass by that. That's in there. Furious rage. We don't see that often. I don't don't drive on 285 very much. (laughs) Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have them brought. So they brought these men before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you don't serve my gods, and you don't worship my golden image? Now, if you're ready when you hear the sound of the band to fall down and worship, the image that I've made, that's well and good. But if you don't worship, you shall immediately be cast into a fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? At this point, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are at that place where they're walking by the dessert counter, and God is saying, hey guys, you know what to do. This is your time. You know what to do. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't answer to you. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And we read this story today, and we know how it ends. These guys had no idea. You think they thought it was a 50-50 chance that they make it? I don't think so. I think they probably thought it was more like 199, not 50,50. So they said, "Our God is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. but if not, be it known to you, O King, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. And there it is. That's it right there. You want a good story with your life? Do I want a good story with my life? That place where you have felt God prompting you, that place in Scripture that makes you a little uncomfortable because you've read, you are to do this, and for whatever reason you're stuck and can't do that, Every story has conflict in it. Did you know that? Except for the really bad ones. Real conflict that has to be overcome. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury. The expression on his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind the three and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent, and the furnace was overheated, and because these dudes were afraid of him, the flame of the fire killed those men who took them up. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. And this is it right here. This is where God shows up in a way that changes everything. King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, hey, didn't we cast three men bound into the fire? And they answered and said to the king, that's true, king. And he answered and said, but I see four. And the fourth has the appearance of of the Son of God's. Hmm. I love it when Jesus shows up before he's supposed to. I love it when pre Jesus shows up in the Old Testament and takes a stroll in a fiery furnace with three guys who decided to be faithfully obedient to him and I would give, not a lie, everything I own right now to know what Jesus said to these guys as they strolled in this furnace. And I would give everything I have right now for Jesus to say that to me. What about you? Well, Nebuchadnezzar still paying attention. And he comes near to the door of the burning fiery furnace and he declares, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, he went from who's your God to Most High God. Come out and come here. Dude, what how did they come out? Did they stroll out? Did they, did they have to climb out? I mean, what did this look like? Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. And I bet there were some Chaldeans in the corner going, "Uh uh-oh. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the story wraps up. With the king doing what kings do best, making another decree. And the decree was listen, if you can hear my voice, if you can read this decree, anyone who dares say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be killed. It's like he probably needed some more discipling. But I like the sentiment. Here's a dude who moments before was God himself, which, by the way, we read this and we think that's odd. Guys, we are so prone to that. We are so prone to being gods. Everybody you work with thinks they're God of their life. What's your story saying? When they're reading your life, what are they saying? What are they hearing? What are they What are they reading? What is God saying to them through your life? What is He saying through my life? When I was a brand new pastor 25 years ago, I had 20 kids in my youth group, and I was petrified. I got a call from Lasseter High School, and it was Coach Kegel. Coach Kegel is like six foot six, anyways. 350 pounds, he played at UGA, and he said, he said, hey Paul, this is Jim Cagle. I was like, hey. <laughs> he said, uh, you're the new guy in town, wanted to see if you want to come speak at FCA. I was like, I, I knew right away the answer was no, I did not want to uh, speak at FCA. So I, I tried to get to that place. How many people are there going to be? He's like, we've got about 200 people uh, in the chorus room, I was like, that, that is definitely a no. And, and I heard God, because I got to tell you guys, okay? I failed my senior Spanish class because I wouldn't do the oral presentation. Okay? I took the F on purpose. I did the work, I took the F because I didn't want to get up and speak. And in that moment, God said, Paul, and I don't have many moments like this, guys. You're hearing both of them. Anytime a public school asks you to speak about me, the answer is yes. And Jim Cagle had heated up the furnace to about seven times its normal temperature by telling me there were 200 kids. And I said, Okay. And that morning at 3 30, I woke up. I'd been working on this message like I was going to be delivering it to the, I don't know, somebody important. And I went in the bathroom and I threw up. And I thought, maybe this is a really good, good way to get out of it. And God said, nope. Be obedient. And I went. And I remember, my hands are probably twice as sweaty as they are now. (laughs) And I started to walk up to the front of the room, and this is the prayer. God, if you don't show up, this is going to be brutal. I may just die up here. (laughs) Right? It sounds silly. But if you're not fond of public speaking, you know what I'm talking about. And every time, and guys, this is not tooting my own horn, but I was smart enough to know that every time a public school asked me after that, the answer was yes. And so for 25 years, it's been yes. Which, you know, there, there's a coach at Laster who I made the mistake of telling that to. Uh, and so, you know, anytime he needs a sub, he's calling me. Because <laughs> he knows I'm not going to say no, he's got me over a barrel. I've never once regretted. There have been times where where I've had to miss stuff. There have been times uh, where I've been really looking forward to sleeping in on my day off. There have been times where I just wasn't feeling it. But God has been so good in that place where I chose to be obedient. And my prayer is that that part of my story will be a place other people read and it changes them. You ever, you ever morbid and wonder what your funeral's going to look like? Right? No? Okay. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Thought we were in this together, but clearly I'm up here all by myself sweating. Every once in a while, I wonder. And I wonder who will show up and what stories will they tell? Who will show up? I mean, it's just another way of asking, have I done anything significant? Has anyone's life been changed because of anything I've done? The secret is this. When you want a better story, give the pen to a better author. When you want a better story, give the pen to a better author. In the same way that Sherwood, Schwartz, or whoever wrote the Brady Bunch, is no Harper Lee or C.S. Lewis. God writes so much better story than I ever will. And he puts it this way in Galatians 2.20. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I've been crucified. It is no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. It is no longer I who write, but it is Christ who writes my story. If I will be faithfully obedient. And I don't know what that looks like for you. You know, if you're, if you're a six-year-old kid in the room, what does being faithfully obedient look like to you? What does that even mean? One way you can do that is really clear in Scripture. Scripture. You can be faithful to God by obeying your parents. That can be your act of worship. That can be your act of obedience to God. Obey your parents. If you're a teenager in the room, college student, I don't know what that looks like for you. Maybe God's been asking you to get involved in campus ministry. I would say whatever it is, do it. Be obedient. Us older folks. What does that look like for us? What are the people around us seeing us be faithfully obedient to? And how's it changing their lives? Whatever it is, do it. I have. I'll tell you this straight up, it doesn't make your life easier to be faithfully obedient, but I've never known anyone who has done it that has regretted it. There's never been one person on their deathbed who looks back and says, I wish I hadn't been faithfully obedient to God. So I'm going to pray for us this morning. I love our church. I love the people who go here I love what God has done through us and wants to do through us but I think there's so much more it's not a resolution it's not trying to be better but think about that that place right now where God has got his pen over your life and he's saying are we doing this? Is this going to be part of your story? And say yes. Let's pray. God, who can deliver us? You can. You are the most high God. Nebuchadnezzar had it right even though he didn't fully understand. So, my most high God, we come to you right now and we acknowledge who you are. And in the midst of that, we thank you for the way that you have come close to us, that you are Emmanuel, that you are intricately involved in our lives. You don't have to be, but you choose to be, God. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for being love. Lord, this morning, as individuals and as your church, we pray for those places where you are intersecting our lives, places where we have a choice, where there's a fork in the road and we can go one way or the other way. God, would you help us to go toward you? Would you help us to say yes, even though it's hard, even though it might mean hardship or worse? And God, when we say yes to you, would you not only bless us, God, but would you bless those around us? Would you make our stories compelling and life-changing and pointing toward you? And Lord, for the folks in here right now who, uh, who maybe aren't following you, maybe there are some, some people in here, some seekers, or some people who are just checking this out, God, would you... Speak to them in this moment. Would you let them know the extents that you've gone to to be with them? For them to be made right with you. We thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you not only for his birth, but for his death on the cross and for the freedom that that bought us, God. We were once dead and we are now alive. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.